Hello, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I am a therapist and a certified addictions counselor in the Chicago area. And this podcast is all about talking about our own experience of being a healer while trying to care for ourselves on this journey. And my guest today is someone who has a really eclectic view on healing one's own journey and helping others. And her name is Jenna Fox. She's a licensed mental health counselor, educator, writer, and tarot reader living on unceded Duwamish land called Seattle. As a queer adult adoptee, she is working to reclaim ancestral wisdom to pass on to her children. She's described by her community college students as sympathetic, but with a blunt sense of humor. I had a really fun time chatting with Jenna. I feel like I'm finding so many soul siblings on this journey of doing the podcast and Even if it doesn't help anybody else, it is helping me. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Jenna Fox. Hello, Jenna Fox. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I am. Well, I told you right before we started, I'm a fucking mess right now. Let's be honest. Well, happy happy Monday. I'm sure people aren't going to be listening on a Monday, but you know, who knows? Yeah. Just so you guys know, if you're feeling the Monday vibes, it's a Monday when we're recording this. Yeah. And and it's a new moon. So, you know, all those dark, like brooding feelings. It's totally, totally Mm -hmm. normal. Yes. That's what I keep telling myself. This is totally normal. We'll, we'll, we'll all feel better in a couple days. Yes, that's what I hope. Ooh, that's what I'm channeling. Yes. But anyway, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm excited to be here. Yay! I can't get over how cool Instagram is and the way I've like made all these cool new friends through Instagram. It's like I'm a millennial or something. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Jenna, we've already talked about a million things already, but would you tell the listeners who you are and what you do? I would love to. I'm Jenna Fox, and my full-time employment uh, is as a community college instructor. So I work out in the Seattle area, and I I teach human development, but I teach in a pretty like specialized program. So I'm not sure if this is like a, a countrywide thing of like high school students being able to go to community colleges here we call that running start. And so they're able to get like high school, high school and college credit at the same time. But I'm in a program that is for students who've dropped out of high school. Mm. So they're 16 to 21, but through like the Washington state has passed this law where uh, if you get an AA degree, associates of arts degree in the state of Washington, and you don't have a high school diploma, the state will give you one. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I get to work with these these young people. They've dropped out of high school and they're just receiving they're receiving college credit. So if they finish their, you know, 90 credit degree, they'll get a high school diploma at the end of it. So that's kind of like what pays all my bills. Mm-hmm, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I love it because it's this combination of psychology and English. I'm a licensed mental health counselor, but on the side, I also, I write and I'm a tarot reader and I'm a Reiki master and I'm a podcaster. I kind of do all these other like eclectic, some pay bills, some don't, you know, side gigs, but Mm -hmm. in this kind of professor light, because I'm not really a professor, (laughs) but professor Mm -hmm. light is like how I kind of think about it. I, when I started my private practice, I realized 
oh, shit, I don't want to sit in one place all day long for five days a week. I need to be like running around doing a million different things. So it sounds like we're pretty similar. We just have so many interests. Just want to do everything. My husband always teases me because I'm home with the kids in the summer. That's one of the benefits of the job that allows kind of some of that freedom and flexibility. And he's like, let me guess this fall, you're going to take on another project. And because I always fall Mm -hmm. is my busiest quarter and I'm like doing all this stuff. And he's like, you're doing all this stuff. And then you always start something new, like a writing project or a class or something and I'm like yeah you're probably right like Mm -hmm. I like to be doing all those creative creative adventures I just feel like there's so much that I'm meant to learn in this lifetime I literally do not have time to learn everything I want to learn to be with all the people I want to be with there's is just literally not enough time in this life I know. My best friend, she she reminds me every time I find some new interest area, she's like, you do not need to get a degree in this. Like, <laughs> yes, you can ju- I'm you the can same. Just, <laughs> you can learn it for like however long. You mm-hmm. can take online courses, but you don't have to get a degree because I'll find something new and I'll be like, oh my God, I need to get a PhD in ethnobotany. And, and they're right. like, Cal- calm down. Like you're already in debt from graduate school that you're not really using, like chill out, you know? Right. I know because I, I also feel like I'm a very traditional learner. I like to be in the classroom having somebody like dictate to me rather than reading things. I need somebody to, I need it to come through my ears and then through my hands onto a piece of paper somehow. So like, that's the best way to learn is just fucking go back to school. Duh. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I I mean, I tell my students that the reason I'm working at a college is because it's like the closest I could get to just being a student and get paid for it. (laughs) And they're like, okay. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I do these activities activities with you and I'm so excited you know mm-hmm. and they're just kind of like can we just get through our two hours with you and like go on to do like more fun things <laughs> I know I it's I teach at one of the master's programs of social work school here in in Chicago and one of the reasons I teach is to stay like current you know and to continue to learn and grow yep. so yes we're on the same page queen yeah. Yeah. I've heard you talk a little bit about your work on your podcast, but I bet listeners would love to hear about Leo Rising. Yeah. So I have been, I've been reading tarot for like five years, but mostly just kind of like a quiet for myself, my friends, like, you know, try to rope my husband into having readings and he's not a real big fan of it. But this last year I decided, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go professional. And so, yeah, Leo rising, my ascendant sign in, in the astrological system is Leo. So I'm a Sagittarius sun. Sagittarius moon and Leo rising. Mm. And so I was just like, that's what I'm going to call it, Leo rising. And so I have been reading tarot for people on the internet, doing some email readings. And then this summer, I really kind of focused on doing like festivals and fairs. So Pride was really fun. Here Mm. in Seattle, we have a sea fair, which Hmm. If people are kind of like in like Washington state or like even maybe in Oregon, they know about this. It's like a throwback to it's been it's been happening for like 70 years. Hmm. There's like hydroplane races, which is like the NASCAR on water. 
<laughs> I'm serious. Wow. So you, when you think of Seattle, you kind of think of these like tech and, you know, or, or maybe you think of like, you know, the grunge era. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's people that come out and they watch hydroplane races. But Seafair is like where pirates land. And for like the okay. month of August, like it's a pirate ship and they're like, rah, 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 and they, they go through. <laughs> there's different festivals. I know. <laughs> it's like, I kind of think that they, they were like, there's no holiday in August. Let's do something. There's Amazing. probably real history, but that's how I conceptualize it. Right, of course. And so these seafare pirates, they like go visit kids at Children's Hospital. And so I did, I read it, read at a festival kind of like right on the waterfront in Seattle, mm. which was really fun. And then just trying to kind of be local in, in some of the little suburbs of Seattle and kind of do some of those festivals. But then as I'm doing that, I'm like, you know, let's just start a podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. Because Cause we need more things <laughs> to do. Clearly. <laughs> I know. I was like, I'm writing and I'm doing tarot and it's over the summer. You know, I really focus on podcasting and I didn't really know anything about it. I just was like, I'm just going to do it. You know, I've talked about doing a podcast forever because I like to talk mm. and I like Sainsies. to interview people. Right. <laughs> I know. And people are like, oh, you should do a podcast. You're so funny. I tried a comedy one, to be honest. Yeah. If people want to look it up, there's like a 10 episode, mini episode. Ah. <sighs> It's not, it's funny-ish, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it as a stand-up comedian, but. Next lifetime. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. When I retire. Yes. I know, I actually tell my students that that's as close as I can get to comedy as well. It's during the day, because I like to go to bed early. Right. There's less, there's less drinking, but there's also less heckling. And they're kind of trapped. So they have to listen to my jokes. Yep. (laughs) You know? (laughs) That's awesome. And I'm like, don't, don't fail my class because it's the same jokes the next quarter. And everyone thinks that they're great the first time around, but you don't want to listen to them (laughs) the second time around at all. It's it's a canned shtick, you know? Yep. So yeah, I kind of lived this like double life of, you know, professor by day and tarot reader kind of on my, yeah. in all those like little nooks and crannies after work and on the weekends Mm -hmm. And then licensed mental health counselor, how does that, where did that come in in your life? And how do you, I guess, weave that knowledge into all that you do? Yes, that's a really good question. So it's kind of like a way back story, like into, into my undergrad. So I was an English major and I was going to be an English teaching major, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's the safe route is to pick Thing. You yes. know, I was still really entrenched in evangelical Christianity in college. And mm-hmm. it was like, okay, you know, I'm going to get married. And it's, it's being a teacher is a great career. And I liked English, you know. And so it was really in like my the last two quarters of my degree that I realized I didn't want to be an English teacher. Oh, I did these mm-hmm. like practicums and I was out in the schools and I was like, I don't want to teach people to read. And so I decided to just be an English major and I graduated with no fallback plan. And Mm -hmm. so what do you do? What do you do when you are uh, evangelical Christian and you have no backup plan and no real skills? So I became a missionary. Wow. (laughs) I know. Right. And so I was teaching English or kind of like half teaching English in India at an international school Mm. because I don't know why that made sense to me of like, I didn't want to be an English teacher in the U.S., but Hmm. sure, I'll try to teach eighth grade grammar in India. (laughs) (laughs) And once I got there, I realized like that was really not the path for me was not to do this like half-hearted mission attempt and try to convert people. And and so I came home and I was like, okay, what what do I want to do? 
And I just, I talked to people in my life and they, they said teaching or social work, like mm-hmm. counseling were mm-hmm. my two like strengths. And so I was like, well, I already crossed teaching off the list. Mm-hmm. So let's go to counseling. <laughs> but I thought I really, I really loved college. And so I chose a program in Seattle at Seattle University that was a post-secondary counseling program, which was specifically to train me to be a college counselor. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And so here it was, you know, to be a faculty counselor and just do, you know, all the cool counseling stuff that you can do at mm-hmm. community or like university level. But as you know, like the licensure process takes a long time. Well, yes, here it's yes. like 3,000 hours. And, and so the quickest way to do that is to be a crisis counselor. Hmm. So I graduated with, well, okay, let me back up because I got accepted to this post-secondary counseling program and six months into it, they told me and one of my fellow students that there was no post-secondary counseling program anymore, Uh. right? Well, they were going through KCRAP, which is like to try to be more accredited. And and so we ended up with a mental health counseling degree with a post-secondary specialization. So I got out and I was like, well, I'm going to work as a crisis counselor at this youth crisis response team. So Mm -hmm. in King County, they've contracted with King County, this um, nonprofit through the, the, anyway, this is getting very technical, but (laughs) the the, the YMCA of Seattle. Yeah. And so we were trying to prevent youth hospitalizations Mm. and do in-home, in-community, eight weeks of like really solid crisis work with families to link them up to services. And so I did that for like 16 months to get licensed. I had a baby in the middle there. And I really loved working with teens that were in crisis, but being on call 24-7. Not sustainable. It's not sustainable at all. There would be times that I would have like my nursing baby and my husband would meet me at like the Panera bread, Uh. like halfway to a, you know, an outreach somewhere so I could nurse him. And it was just, it was really intense and had like physical assault. Just like, okay, how can I work with this population of students but leave at 4.30 or 2.30 or whatever and have a weekend, have a summer and not just be getting called all the time. And so that's where my current job really is like a great bridge of I get to use so much of the counseling background. I even tell them they're 16, they've dropped out or they're 17. And a lot of students really struggle with having their parents having forced them or their Mm -hmm. probation office. I'm like, listen, you guys in Washington state, when you're 13, you're in charge of your mental health. So if a 13-year-old can decide whether or not they're going to take their medication for bipolar or whatever, then I think that you can be in charge of your math class and whether you decide you want to go to school or not. Bam. Right? And so I'm like, listen, you're adults. If you don't want to be here, cool. My idea of success is that life is hard and there's so many different ways to be successful. So I'm not going to take it personally if this isn't the quarter for you or this isn't the program for you or whatever. Just don't be a dick in my class. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what I say. Just don't be a dick, you guys. That's all I care about. Like, here's the syllabus and let me recap. Don't be a dick. Yes. And if you you like the person next to you, ask them out respectfully to coffee. Don't throw a spitball at them because that happened one quarter. And I'm like, God, what What? What is going on? We're we're adults here. So yeah, I, I get to bring in a lot of personality inventories and career development stuff. And we talk about like mental health and anxiety Mm -hmm. and and how that's impacting our classes and getting them caught up with resources and stuff so that they can be successful in school. Mm -hmm. But I get to leave at 2.30. 
you know, and then yeah. go and be a tarot reader and a mom and a, all the other cool things that I do. Yeah, that's uh, that's so cool. I mean, I, I think most people start out in community mental health in some way in this field. And I mean, it is such a special job and so important. And there were so many kids that I just fell in love with. But it is it's something that I don't know how people can stay in it for more than a handful of years because it is just so so heartbreaking and then to think as I say that out loud I'm thinking holy shit the privilege that I have to make the Uh choice whether I get in or get out when the kids that I was working with that was their life yeah well and it's something that I I think about a lot around just as far as funding and training and retention I mean when I was at the the crisis job I was there for like three months and I was considered senior staff, you know, and fortunately, because we had a night team and the night team had been working together for like three or four years. So they were really, they were really good as far as responding. But if any of them, there was only four of them, if any of them needed to take a day off, you know, or go or get married or had a kid, it was like, it was, it was intense. But like after three or four months to be considered senior staff, when I'm like, I'm still I don't even know King County well enough, like to to be like, you know, an expert at anything. And so I think about that as like, it's like the most vulnerable population. And yet the people that are there actually are the least experienced as far as like, Mm -hmm. if I went, if I went back now, I would have, I would just have so much more life experience and having been a counselor Mm -hmm. for much longer that I think I would even be able to like handle, I'd be able to handle it. Right. right after, you know, right after school. Mm-hmm. I know it's, it's so screwed up. I mean, the system, I can't even, I can't even get into it, but how many barriers we have to mm-hmm. people getting good treatment to, yeah, to good people staying in difficult jobs. Like the people who are on the front lines like that, they should be getting the higher, you know, the higher wages rather than those oh, of us yeah. in private practice, you know? Right. But yeah. that's a whole nother podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm curious because you've talked a little bit about this on your show, but if you could tell our listeners the way that you intersect what you know about psychology and humans and tarot. Yeah, so I'm actually taking a course right now. Lindsay Mack, she's got a podcast as well on tarot and really looking at the tarot cards, specifically like the major arcana as like big archetypes, um, things that we move through in our life. Mm-hmm. That's what's been really cool about kind of just going with the flow and, and picking up this tarot and, and deciding to put it out into the world is that it's almost coming full circle back to that English major that I did and I loved is in graduate school, I read Carl Jung. And mm-hmm. as, as from from a counseling perspective, but I had read him in my undergrad from an English perspective. Mm. And the same thing with Joseph Campbell. And right. reading these and experiencing these things where it's like, all we have is stories, you know, mm-hmm. our memories, our stories, yet they connect to these bigger themes. So in my class, I will talk about the fools or the hero's journey, you know, mm-hmm. in psychology, we would call it the hero's journey, like archetypes and Jung and Campbell, right. hero's journey. In tarot, it's the fool's journey. Mm-hmm. And so going through those different aspects of the journey, you know, kind of stepping out and going on the adventure and all of the different people that you might meet along the way, the obstacles that you're going to experience, and then how it's also a spiral, 
you know, I'm thinking about my students that come back to me because I don't just teach one class. I teach a foundational class and mm. then they see me for two more quarters. And it's like they're kind of weaned off as they're taking other college classes. But it's not to just kind of like boot the baby bird out of the nest and be like, just fly. Good luck. You, you, you know, like you right. took one study skills class and it's like to kind of just make, make sure that they're doing well. But sometimes students really struggle with that. Like, oh, we've talked about this before. We've talked about this before. And I'm like, so right <laughs> now you're in, it's a new quarter. And yeah, we've talked about, you know, note taking strategies, but you're in new classes and that sort of spiral nature of just like mental health and growth and development Mm -hmm. that keeps happening. And so when I like when I'm doing tarot readings, I'll use myself, for example, there will be periods where I pull the same card pretty consistently. And it's like, right now, temperance is the card that I'm that Mm. I pull kind of a lot. And temperance is actually it's one of the major arcana cards. So it's like a big archetype. And it's ruled by Sagittarius, Ah. or Sagittarius rules it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, right. This is like a little nod from the universe that Mm -hmm. I should be focusing on this. And temperance is all about decompartmentalizing parts of your life instead of just having all these little fragments separated is like, how can we blend it into one thing and kind of Mm. find that balance, which is such a challenge for these like eclectic, multi-passionate people. For the longest time, there was like the people who knew I was a tarot reader and there's the people who know I'm a writer and then Mm -hmm. there's the people who know I'm a, you know, instead of what if I just showed up as my full, complete self with all of these parts, what would that look like? Yeah. What if I brought more of my witchy practices into my classroom without being, Mm -hmm. you know, like proselytizing? You know, like, how do I do all of that? Mm -hmm. And so I think that one of the things I tell my students is that I'm in the process, too. I stand on the other side of the desk and I'm a part of their community while I'm also not a part of their community. I'm not the student of me, but I'm still an eternal student. And so... Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I feel about being a therapist. And I <laughs> use myself in the work all the time and will, you know, tell people examples of lessons that I'm learning at the same time. And yeah, we we're all in it. I like the idea of the spiral because we continue to learn the same lessons over and over, but on different levels, for sure. Yeah. In graduate school, we talked about that. I took a spiritual development class, and I'm revisiting it now in Lindsay Mack's course with the tarot. But that that spiral idea, of if you think about it as like a mountain, I'm not like a huge hiker. I kind of try like not do a lot of physical activity, to be honest. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I have hiked before, and there's, you know, when you do switchbacks and you go up in a mountain, you will see that same tree hmm. from you know, just a tiny fraction of elevation gain, but there's elevation that's been gained, even if it doesn't seem to it. And you don't really recognize it until like you've passed it or you're, you're high above and you can look back and be like, wow, I have come a long way. Hmm. But so much of that time you feel like I am I remember in, in college rereading my journal and I had written basically the same entry Mm-hmm. one year one year apart and it was about some dumb boy you know yeah. relationship thing it is like, oh I'm never gonna get married and right whatever but like how often do we have those cycles in our life mm-hmm. where we're like dang it I'm, I'm experiencing it again and yet we're not the same people right absolutely yeah I feel like I'm in this period of intense transformation and 
I I wish that I could just like go into a cave and come out like three months later and be changed, but that is not how it gets to work this time. And it kind of reminds me of the experience that I had when I was in grad school, which funny enough was almost was no, it was 10 years ago. So that would make a lot of sense that there's a decade in between this, this period of growth where it was like, all of a sudden I saw things in a completely different way. And I had to change my relationships with everybody in my life, like instantly. And right now, wow, I'm just fucking realizing this as I'm saying it out loud right now. It's I'm having a lot of realizations and seeing things in a different way. And I have to completely change my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. So at the first time, (laughs) so the first time it was like external, you were changing it to outside of you and now it's inside you. Yeah. Isn't that fucked up? Wow. The inner journey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm here for it though. Yeah. And I, I am too. So Jordan, I just interviewed Jordan recently Mm -hmm. and then we instantly became best friends. And so he was telling me about this place that he goes to. The Center for Spiritual Living. Yeah. Do you go there too? I don't, but I'm familiar. Yeah. Jordan lives like two and a half hours north of me. Mm. So like close enough that I could visit, but far Mm -hmm. enough that I haven't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny because I'm in Chicago and I'm like, I've got to get out there because we've got to yeah, meet in person. Know. But so he sent me the podcast link to, I guess, the sermon, essentially, that the pastor, I don't know. I don't know what they go by because if they're just calling it the Center for Spiritual Learning, I'm guessing they don't use the typical terms of when we were growing up in church. But the podcast that I listened to from the service yesterday was about like spiritual earthquakes and making a choice to have a relationship with the spiritual earthquake in recognizing that this is this is part of the journey and this is just energy being released. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, that feels so much better than feeling like I'm being annihilated, which is kind of what it feels like. Right, right. Yeah. There was a podcast I was listening to, actually Lindsay Max, about the tower. It's the tower mm-hmm. card, which mm-hmm. is all about that. And she was sharing about how sometimes the tower, it's just like the top crumbles. And sometimes it's like we dig all the way down to the foundation and have mm-hmm. to like rebuild the whole fucking thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's terrifying, you know? Mm-hmm. I just want a few, I just want a few shingles to be, right? Uh, <laughs> right? Maybe like a Right. Some, a paint a paint job maybe that'd be great thanks yeah. universe right. but like where this whole universe is right now everything is being torn down right like mm-hmm. this is i feel mm-hmm. like my experience is absolutely part of a bigger picture of shit has to break completely before we can put it back together again in a in a more i guess serving way for everyone Yeah. And even sometimes you have to have it all broken down before you can even imagine something different. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think about this when I I came out to my parents a couple years ago and it was really rough. You know, they're still, they're still evangelical Christians. Mm. And so it was really, it was really challenging. And we went through like this, this really dark time where we like basically didn't talk. And now we're just kind of barely coming back and I don't know mm. what it's going to look like but whatever it is it's going to be honest right you know and it's like the new foundation this is what it's going to be and I kind of get to direct some of that mm-hmm. but I can reimagine rather than like let's be at like a fun house carnival where nothing kind of appears to be the way it's supposed to be or you know it's like yeah and it but it's challenging work right but you're right like and so we're doing that in our own lives 
And then there's that kind of global perspective, the global things that need to be torn down mm-hmm. to, to reimagine, rediscover something new. Right. And when you talk about it from, you know, your history of evangelical Christianity, there's this other podcast, I'm a fucking podcast freak, yeah. called Ordinary Life. And this guy in Houston, he's a reverend and he's also a therapist. And he right now has been this whole year has been doing a series on like the history of the religious right and how it came to be. And and it's all about fear, right? It's all about this Mm -hmm. clinging to Mm -hmm. what was and this feeling that if we move away from (laughs) where we've been, that I just I don't understand the idea of thinking that there's one truth. And so it's so hard for me to like take that perspective, but I'm guessing you can, since you came from that, can you explain for yourself how you made that leap from like, okay, Jesus Christ is my Lord and savior and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden to be like, wait, no, there are more options than this. Right. So I think that it's like a story. I am not sure that I ever believed it was the only way other than to other than to survive or like I'm right. okay I'm going to use I'm going to use the example of coming out because I identify as bisexual queer. I know that there's I say bi by beyond the binary because I recognize that <laughs> there's, I love it. it's not, and you know, it's not just, there's this binary, but I don't, I don't jive with the label pansexual. So when I was a kid, I've known since I was a kid, but there was no language for it. Mm. The language that I was given was through Disney movies and books and things. Mm -hmm. And that language was all about finding my husband and, you know, Mm -hmm. the prince and the princess and all that stuff. But there was this deeper truth that I still knew about myself and about the world. And so as I've kind of come to my own like spiritual beliefs is that really happened in graduate school where I was able to say, what I really believed and what yes. I really, be- what I really believed was deeper than what I, what I also believe. Right. So if that makes sense, like I can say that Jesus is great. I could say all the things I go to a Presbyterian church. I'm an ordained elder and I'm also a witch, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those things for me can both be true right. because one of them feels deeper true on like a, like a huge time like historical time yeah, like beyond yeah. beyond time truth and then there's like a, a short-term truth like, yeah like the, like sense. I almost feel like you're saying like the human truth of yeah. the body that you're in right now versus like the soul and spiritual truth yes exactly that, that'd yeah. be like you're a great therapist oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> what I'm hearing is what you're doing. Oh my yeah exactly yeah and so like the process to get there was long and challenging but it's again going back to that idea of a spiral is it's like I don't think this is a new destination I think that this yeah. for me is an old destination mm. when I think about myself as like 9 10 11 when I would sing to myself and I would sometimes sing church songs and I would sometimes sing like Phantom of the Opera you know <laughs> probably terribly and my my neighbors probably didn't like that and I was obsessed with nature and I would make potions and I would just Mm. live in this world of much more connectedness yeah that it almost seems like a return and I'm like meeting that like you're saying that that part of you that 10 years ago that was looking externally and internally now it's like I'm meeting that part of me again just as an adult yeah and the other thing that I that I heard you say in describing your 
I'm going to say religious beliefs more as a child, like that, that need to survive. Like I have to, Mm -hmm. a child knows I have to function in this system. And the only way I can function in the system is to be aligned with my caregivers, you know, and I relate to that so much too. And because we weren't evangelical by any means, but my mom was extraordinarily conservative, religiously speaking. And I was super into youth group, you know, in my teen years, and I really loved it. And we had we had this lovely youth pastor who was way less conservative than a lot of the messages around me. But, you know, I went went along with all like don't have sex before marriage and all these other things that I probably knew on some level were not my belief system. But I didn't there were no examples in my mm-hmm. life of people who were living authentically because we right. didn't we didn't have space in my in the conservative place where I grew up and so i remember so i've i've got multicolored hair and i always tell people with kids like let your kids dye their hair now because yep. if they don't this is what they're going to look like later and i always remember i wanted to paint my room purple as a little girl and my mom was so concerned about how that would look even though fucking nobody would see it even like even if they came to the house i could shut the door but it had to be this super pale really feminine purple and then we got this wallpaper that was like very light lilac and it's like I wanted to be loud I wanted to be seen and I was just continually given this message over and over that that's not ladylike you know you have to be this way and so I just it uh, it breaks my heart to think about your little girl my little girl you know all the little girls out there whose whose parents were like this is the way that you have to believe in order to be in our family yeah I've been thinking about that kind of just when you were talking about your parents and the way things needed to look, I grew up with the explicit message, you are a reflection. Of oh, yeah, family. definitely. Yes. <laughs> and when I tell people that haven't grown up in that world, they're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, and now recognizing as mm-hmm. a therapist, you know, just like that is a cognitive belief that does not need to exist as a parent. Like I have children, if they throw a tantrum, it's not about me. It's about whatever they're experiencing. But even I have two, two thoughts related to that. When I came out, my husband was shocked because I had told him, Mm. I was like, they're, they're going to, they're going to abandon me. They're going to abandon me. They're going to cut me out. And he's like, you know, because we're polyamorous too. So we came out Mm. to his parents Mm -hmm. and everyone else and our pastor and everyone has embraced us, even if they're like, I'm sorry, Mm. what? And I was like, I had to, I knew, I knew my truth was that I needed to survive. And it took until I was 34 to say, now I can, now I'm a self-sufficient adult. And if, Mm -hmm. if, you know, if you were to abandon me now as an adult, I will survive. But part of when my dad wrote the letter to me about, you know, just kind of, this is a travesty and where did my little girl go and all this stuff. Oh, dad. I know. I know. But, but, I had a friend read it and she was like, oh God, she goes, that is a horrible letter. And I'm like, yeah, you know, but it it was really about like, they would have been fine if we just hadn't come out. Right. The fact that it like broke appearance, broke appearance for like, you know, they could just pretend or whatever. It's like, it's like the claiming to the world. I know you have, you have colored hair. I have like multiple tattoos and it's Mm -hmm. just this like, okay, it's fine if they're secret tattoos, but why do you have a cat skull on your arm? You know? Right. right. (laughs) My grandma was like, just don't get one on your face. Cause that's definitely (laughs) from arm to face is the next, (laughs) the logical sequence of events of tattoos. You're like, I'm going to get a big spider on my neck. Yeah. I know when I, in in college, (laughs) I pierced my nose and my tongue on the same day. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and the way that my mom coped was she was like oh your your nose ring is so small and dainty it's so cute it was like uh, i had to shock them so far out of their comfort zone that then you know once i took the tongue ring out it was like they've never said anything about my nose ring right oh my gosh Wow. We are very similar. It sounds like we reacted in a very similar way to a very constricted environment. And so when you come out here to the great Pacific Northwest, yes, you know, I'm seven minutes from the SeaTac airport, you know, and nobody, I don't want anyone to stalk me on your podcast, you know, but you know, you know, if you need a ride anywhere, it's really close. Amazing. I, yeah, I'm already trying to figure out how I can get out there probably in December. So I think we should all, because of Jordan, I'm getting connected to other people in Seattle. Yeah. So clearly I'm supposed to be like Midwest you could do a li- and West you could Coast. do like a live podcast. Done. That's what you should do. Yes. Okay. Amazing. I'll pick, I'll pick you up at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jenna's job done. Check. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I feel like, you know, the conversation that we've had thus far really is talking about the ways that we've healed ourselves, mm-hmm. and And that is certainly at the heart of this podcast. But I'm curious if you look at the label healer in terms of all of the work you do. And I, I, I do think it's all intersectional for sure. Does that label apply to you? It does. Yay! I know. (laughs) I've been, as I've listened to all your different episodes, I'm kind of, I go back and forth, like Mm. listening to people and being like, why don't they take that label? Right? I know. But you know, I, but I want to, I want to put words around that because I think that it is, I am a healer of Jenna. Yeah. And from that, I can't, you know, I don't heal everyone and I don't mm-hmm. heal everyone's, like I couldn't heal all parts of anyone. I can't even heal all parts of myself, but I am right. I am a healer. I would really like to say that I'm an educational healer. Yes. And that is so important. Yeah. One of the things, I mean, we have course objectives like set by the college and, you know, have my curriculum and stuff. But I say kind of like at the end of the quarter, if I want students to have had a different experience with an educational system, an educational yes. setting, um, an instructor with classmates that is different than they, what they've had before. Exactly. And, that, and from that, that's healing because for a lot of my students, the trauma that they have is having been in educational, either homeschooled or traditional schooling that just somehow hasn't worked for them or hasn't Mm -hmm. given them all the things or they haven't been seen in certain ways. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm a healer. Yay. Mm -hmm. And I, as we were talking earlier, I was just thinking about how the educational system and the healthcare system, I think Mm -hmm. are equally broken and flawed, very much based on a patriarchal, you know, hierarchy and, and the way that things are in the world. And It's so interesting how really the healers in both of those professions are typically female, like nurses and social workers, generally female, teachers, generally female, working under this system. And I'm just thinking about one of your episodes that was a lot about hierarchy and patriarchy and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's just it's fascinating. It's changing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really like I feel like ground floor work, you know. Yeah. The more students that I see, the more and the the experiences and, you know, a lot of them, we as an educational system, like still really value them getting an AA as a measure of Mm -hmm. success. And I'm like, I've had students that have, 
had kids. I've had students mm-hmm. that have quit and gone to work construction with their dad for 40 bucks an hour. And I'm like, dang, you know, one of my students, he, he dropped out of my class after the first quarter because he got accepted to Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's like all these different like measures of like, what is success? And I think mm-hmm. education has defined it for so long as one thing, just like, mm-hmm. just like you're saying, like the medical, the mental yep. health field, it's like, you're successful if you never have another anxious, depressed, manic episode or you stop all right. this stuff. It's like, what? Like, right. that's not even, I don't think that that's That's not realistic. even possible. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So how about the term wounded healer? How do you feel about that? I think that it's a good definition, but it makes me think of Christianity a lot. Ooh, why? <laughs> well, because I grew up with the idea that Jesus was the wounded healer. Oh, okay. Yeah, that right. like from from his brokenness we are healed and and this sort of like kind of kind of almost self-sacrificing martyr idea that like I yeah. shouldn't have any um of my own opinions or feelings, I should just kind of be like a doormat. And so, I mean, I like the, I, the concept, like I do think it applies in that I am not I am not perfect. I am not completely whole. And so I have these wounds, but it kind of brings up some some feelings. I don't know if in the story of Jesus, if he would have chosen that route, if there hadn't been some other big historical things happening, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I don't think he would have chosen to be a, a wounded healer. I think he was just a healer before he was crucified. Right. And you, you know? I believe that I saw on Instagram that you start, you read Sarah Beek's book. Uh-huh. Yeah. What did you think? Um, I really loved it. I really loved it. And it stretched me mm-hmm. because when I, I've had like my Akashic records read, my son, my six and a half year old has past life experience. Oh my God. Right. Oh, I the- totally forgot. Yes. Tell me. Yeah. So a couple, when he was three and a half, we were driving in the car on the way home from daycare and he said, mommy, do you remember Toxina? And I was like, no, tell wow. me about her. And he goes, oh, that was my other mommy before you. Oh my God. I know. I know. Right. And I was like, well, tell me about, tell me the deets. (laughs) Right. And he goes, well, she, she was, she was really old. She had black hair and brown skin. Mm. And I said, well, were you a boy? Were you a man? And he goes, mommy, I was a man. I had a wife and five kids. And so he's like three and a half. Right. And he goes, and I had, he, he told me he had brown skin and black hair and that there was Mm. a, an old woman older than great Grammy. So that was my great, that was Mm. my grandma. And I said, well, you know, what happened? He goes, well, I was walking along the road and I saw the first car, but I didn't see the second car. And then I wasn't Mm. there anymore. Wow. And I was at, and I go, you died? And he goes, yeah, mommy. Don't you know when you die, you go into another mommy's tummy? I oh, skipped- my God. Yeah, he goes, I skipped ahead into another mommy's, but I came back into yours. I picked you because I liked you. Oh, my God. And were you right? weeping? I was just like, huh, huh. like, because, you know, I have been open to that idea of past lives. Mm-hmm. And I've seen shows and, you know, whatever. Yeah. My... My biggest fear was that I was going to ask him leading questions mm-hmm. because, you know, I've read there's that that book, Heaven is for Real. No, there was another one where it was like the little kid saw Jesus and then over like 10 years, the dad who was a pastor kept asking these questions. Mm. And, you know, and, and I'm not going to say that that kid's story is not real, but I just really didn't want to ask like 
too many detailed questions. I wanted him to just spontaneously say things. And then the interaction took maybe two minutes two and a half minutes and he's three he doesn't three and a half he doesn't normally use words like i had a wife and five kids right and, you know this and then it was like blah, 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 like he was talking about like dinosaurs or some some other <laughs> like superhero <laughs> thing and i'm driving in traffic and i'm just oh like my god. oh my god like and i wrote it down as best as i could remember and that was the first mm. one he had another one after that and then it was a couple years and he just recently had another one. But he tells me he's a level one tarot reader. Yeah. It's just the cutest. But yeah, so Sarah's book, like, it seemed it seemed so true in my heart. But right. what I struggle with is knowing a specific incarnation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I can't imagine knowing that I was a specific person in history. Mm-hmm. I always like my Akashic records. It was that I had been stoned to death as a witch. Hmm. And that felt really true, but it wasn't like your name is Anne Johnson or whatever. Right. Like, and so I can't imagine like, how does she walk around in her skin with that? Like knowledge, mm-hmm. like if you're like a famous person. Right. Right. I'd make an Instagram account. I think, you know, <laughs> Like, how can she become an influencer, right? Like Kim Kardashian, right? Like, yeah, so it was a good book. Yeah. But yeah, it stretches, you know, stretches you beyond what you, what you're taught as a kid. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, from a, from a perspective of coming up in a religious family, just the idea that Jesus and Mary Magdalene had a daughter is like, fricka, what? And that his teaching was beyond and bigger and more. And that that she had teaching and that the daughter had teaching and that there's so Mm -hmm. much more wisdom than just the crucifixion, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like kind of like you said, like I I want it to be real. So I don't even care if it is or not because it resonates internally. Yeah. And so thinking back to your question about being a wounded healer, I think I think I probably am a wounded healer, but I don't want to stay there. If that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what if I'm a becoming more healed healer um, <laughs> than yeah. trying to continuously open wounds so that I can yeah. stay in that definition of wounded healer, you know? Yeah, it's it's just really interesting how there are so many people that I've interviewed who do have these these spiritual experiences and religious experiences that color the language so much. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's not surprising to ha- for so you. So you to should have that find reaction. somebody who was raised like just neutrally atheist or agnostic, yeah. you know, just like right. blank blank slate. Yeah, totally. Well, we are coming up towards the end of the hour and I want to be respectful of your time. So before we go, is there anything, I mean, we talked about literally everything, I think, but is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure that you share with listeners? No, I mean, you know, I I finished season one of my podcast and, you know, season two will start up in a couple months. And, you know, if they want to listen to other ramblings that I do, mm-hmm. that, that would be cool. But no, I mean, I think we talked about like everything. Yay. I think we really did. This conversation has been really, really healing for me. Like I said, I, I'm in a tough place right now. And and just to connect with other people who are following their truth, you know, really deepening their understanding of their authentic self. It's just, it's an honor to be walking on this path with you. Yeah. And you know, the wisdom that you have right now is enough like, you know, you can't project out because you're not that Sarah. Yeah. So just for today is enough. Mm. 
Thank you. Thank you so much to Jenna for being on Conversations with a Wounded Healer today. If you want to find out more information about Jenna, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. And you can search for her on Leo Rising Tarot on Instagram. And that's also her website. And please check out her podcast. If you have any interest in tarot, it's a really, really cool podcast. And thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing. Thank you, Liam O'Donnell, for the album art photo and Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks again. Take care.